where PR is concerned, people think it's just media coverage and it's never just that at all. It's us having this conversation. It's being able to share your story in a way that is going to be compelling, that will make people want to help you or elevate you or lift you or support you or get involved or invest. Learning how to do that is one of the most incredible skills that you can harness and capture and sharpen up. Because if you can articulate what it is that you do, why it is that you do what you do, what the outcomes are and all of that, it just becomes really compelling. Have you ever wondered how successful businesses and thought leaders keep landing those big media opportunities and keep the buzz going around what they're up to? It's not just by chance. They're all using the power of storytelling. I'm Nicola J. Rowley, and with over 25 years in the media as both a journalist and PR expert, I'm here to help you unlock the story potential for both you and your brand. Everything starts with a story. This is the Power of Storytelling podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Power of Storytelling. I'm so excited to be able to bring you this episode because my guest today is all about impact. Not only impact that you can have through sharing your story, but how you can actually have that impact when you amplify it in a much bigger way. Well, she put a post out on social media the other week and I love this. And she said, I'm a bit of a big deal. And actually, I have to agree with her. She is a bit of a big deal. She's changing lives as she's going along and she's laughing in the background. I can see it. The one and only Danny Wallace, who is also known as the Queen Bee. And I'll get her to explain to you why she's known as the Queen Bee. Danny, first of all, welcome to the podcast. It's brilliant to have you with us today. <laughs> I'm just having a little giggle. <laughs> I'm kind of a big deal. Please don't get this twisted. It's more of an affirmation so that I don't feel impostery when I go out into the world than it is that I'm making the statement, I'm kind of a big deal. Well, maybe I am. Maybe if more of us think like that, the more of us can take up a little bit of space. And that's what being the Queen Bee is all about and, and making that statement, I am the Queen Bee. Nicola, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you are more than welcome. When we're talking about the Queen Bee, for anyone that hasn't necessarily come across you yet, where does that come from? It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I just walk into rooms and declare myself royalty. I'm very audacious. Um, but actually, it's a reclamation statement. It's much less about me than it is uh, about the people that I come across. That if some scrappy gobby bird from the northwest of England can walk into a room having, you know, 12 years ago been homeless and sofa surfing, you know, like walk into a room, declare themselves royalty, then maybe, just maybe, the people that I come across can too. So it's a reclamation statement. I was really annoyed that the Queen was born the Queen, God rest her soul. Uh, but people are born into situations whereby they have lots of things and I wasn't. And it took me a long while to realize that actually those good things in life, health, wealth, success, good relationships, money, whatever, you know, whatever success looks like for you, is your birthright as much as it is anybody else that's born into it? Just sometimes you've got to be a little bit more tenacious about getting hold of it for yourself. And that's what, you know, that's what being the queen bee is all about and or the king bee or the royal bee, however it is you identify. 
But your story, and I think this is obviously, this is what we're all about here at The Power of Storytelling. Your story is nothing short, I think, phenomenal because I've followed you now for the last few years and I've seen the change in you, but I've also seen how you gather people around you so that they come along for the ride. And that's so important. Let's go back, Danny, to where you were right at that lowest point, that lowest point where you were kind of like, okay, I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to crawl my way out of this. So where I grew up or in the house in which I grew up, it was really chaotic. So things like you know, addiction, domestic abuse didn't just happen in the house. It happened in my periphery. So not just between my parents, but cousins, grandma, granddad, aunties, uncles, you know, inherently chaos was, was the foundation on which my childhood was built. So by the time I got to 16, I was like, I'm going to get the hell out of there. <laughs> like I just ran away but it's with the circus. I, I found that I could sing and I was able to, to make a living singing, which is exactly what I did and went to work all over the world singing but it wasn't considered a proper job. So I came back to the UK and got a, an inverted commas proper job. And I started to work within learning and development and started to use what I knew from the performance space in the learning and development space. I was very lucky that I got to work with some fantastic brands. So on the surface, things looked like they were working out for me. So professionally, things looked like they were working out for me and financially. But actually, the information that I had about building a family, how I was informed about you know intimate partner relationships, the role models that I had when I was growing up was really skewed and toxicity and disparity within my intimate partner relationships were a real recurring theme. So much so that, you know, you're saying about that kind of rock bottom moment. I found myself having had experienced domestic abuse, having lost my home, was sofa surfing with the kids. And I was still working at the time. I was held on to sort of my job for dear life, really. And I was working out of London two days a week, Preston two days a week, Warrington one day a week. Uh, my mom and my sister and my friends would kind of look after the kids between them. They were in nursery full time. And I, I, do you know what? I felt useless. I felt like I couldn't make a good decision. I felt like everyone around me, having me in their life was to their detriment. And it was a real moment, a real snapshot in time where I was sat in the car ready to take off down to London again. It was raining outside. The windscreen wipers are going. There's some 80s power ballad playing in the background. Must have been because it felt atmospheric at the time. And I'm crying because I didn't know if I just kissed the kids goodbye or goodnight, which was a real sobering moment for me. And in that moment, I made the decision that either life was going to continue happening to me, which that wasn't panning out very well for anybody involved, or I was going to start to happen to life. And it sounds quite glib when I say that out loud. Oh, I just, I just started happening to life and hooray, my whole life changed. But what I did is I started to take responsibility for the decisions that I made and the responses that I put out into the world when things happened. Now, this isn't to say that I'm like victim blaming or what happened to me was right, but I was the common denominator. I was the common denominator in all of the decisions that I've made so far. And I knew that I was going to be the common denominator in all the things going forward. So I decided that, you know, happening to life was the only way forward. I had to start to consider how do I take back responsibility and ownership of the things that happened to me going forward? And that's exactly what I did. Started to ask for help, 
started to build my network of support, started to access services because I definitely needed to do that at the time, seek assistance with my mental health, which was absolutely shot at at the time. And all the while, I was sharing my story. So actually, I, I was using live streaming uh, at that particular point in time and and onwards once I came out of corporate and started to work for myself, singing full-time because I wanted to work within my joy space. I started to share with people what it was that I was doing, what it was that I was planning, where I was right now, how I felt about that. And people started to be inspired by the stories that I was sharing, even though sometimes it was quite raw and it was very real and it was, you know, I wasn't just making it up. And I'd always try to speak directly after the fact instead of in the moment. I wasn't live streaming as things were really kicking off. But as I was externally processing stuff, I did that online (laughs) and I started to, you know, build a following and it's just grown from there. You say that it's just grown from there, but I think there is something really quite magnetic. And this is part of the power of storytelling. When you actually share your experiences, what you've been through and everything else, people resonate with you on such a a, a much deeper level. There's a lot more of an emotional connection. And obviously you were going through some very difficult times. And I remember when I first came across you, it was right at the very beginning, you were still living in a council house Mm -hmm. in Preston. And I remember you were getting, was it bricks through the window? Yeah, it was dangerous. And your car tires were being slashed and things like that. Yeah. And you were there though. You were trying to put yourself out there and say, right, I'm going to do this. And there was a moment, wasn't there, where you had literally 300 pounds to your name and you had to make a decision. But that decision has altered pretty much everything else. It's almost like the foundation for everything to suddenly take off. Yeah, I think that when you have adverse things that happen to you, you know, people talk about, you know, the universe tests you to see if you're ready and every time I got knocked, I would stand myself back up and say, no, I'm, I'm going to go again. I'm going to go again. Whatever success looks like for me, I don't know what, even know what it looks like for me because I, it was just so far outside of the realms of what I could comprehend. It looked like safety and security in the first instance, I think. And I decided that success leaves clues and that I was going to seek out people that had overcome adversity and people that had created success or wealth or safety and security for themselves. So I started to look online for people who inspired me. And there was a number of people that inspired me at that particular point in time. One of them was a gentleman called Brad Burton. And the other was a phenomenal, she's one of my dearest friends now, uh, Lisa Johnson. I've been following her for a little while. And in the background, I'd been trying to put myself out there and still sharing my story. And like you say, I was having my windscreen put through on my car. My tires were being slashed. I'd stuff being thrown at the house. and felt so chaotic at the time. and But I just had enough. I was like, enough now. I don't need to live like this anymore. I just need to know how. So I have this theory. It's a phrase that I use, and you've heard me use this quite a lot. And for, for anybody that follows me, hears me use this quite a lot. It's the phrase, show up, wise up, rise up. So the rising up looks like a goal situation, right? So whatever rising up looks like for you, for me, it looked like a house. It looked like, you know, being financially secure. And in order to get whatever it is that I needed or whatever it is that I wished for, whatever it is that my goal was, there's two things. It's a mathematical equation. There's two things that need to happen. One is that you need to learn what you need to know in order to get it. Because 
if you're showing up, which is the other thing that you need to do, and you knew everything that you need to know, then you'd have the thing that you want, right? What I found was, is that I had absolutely no problem showing up. I was going to show up all day long. I was going to show up to the opening of an envelope. I was going to show up at everything. But what I didn't know was how, how to generate income properly, meaningfully, how to you know, clear my credit score properly so that I could buy a house, how to do all those things, how to build a business in the online space and the offline space. I didn't know how to do that. And in coming across the incredible Lisa Johnson, who teaches people how to do that and, and making friends with her and sharing with her what it was that I was doing, that actually became a catalyst for something rather phenomenal that happened four years ago now. Lisa put out a status and she couldn't do this now because she's she is definitely kind of a big deal. She put a status out saying, I'm going to go over to Malta for a few days in a couple of months. Anybody fancy it? I looked in my, at my bank and there's 300 pounds in there. And I was like, if I can afford the flight, then I'm going to book the flight today and go along to Malta. Bearing in mind, I had absolutely no idea, <laughs> no idea whatsoever who was going to be there, who I was going to meet. I just knew that I wanted to be in the vicinity of Lisa. I knew that she was somebody that was teaching the thing that I wanted to know. I know that she'd overcome adversity, in her case, particularly bullying. Seeing that kind of success leaves clue situation, I just I felt like I needed to be in that room or indeed, in this case, on that plane. So I went on Skyscanner and the flights to Malta were like £69. So I was like, right, I'm got oh heck, I'm going to book a flight. So that's exactly what I did. I booked a flight with that sort of last... 300 pounds that I had. And they say, you know, the rest they say is history. But I think that what happened on that trip to Malta was that I was able to elevate. And, you know, they say you are the sum of the people that you spend the most time with. I was able to elevate my circle of incredible dear, dear friends to people who knew what to do, who knew how to generate safety and security and wealth and all of that sort of stuff. And they just happened to be and have turned out to be some of the best friends I've, you know, I've ever had. It's a real example, I think, Nicola, of, you know, when the universe tests you and tests you and tests you, and the, the very last time that it tests you is the time that you probably most think about giving up that's when I kind of tend to roll my sleeves up and say, no, no, actually, no, I'm not ready to lie down and take this. There are more things that I want for the world. And that's what Malta was for me. It was my, it was almost like my last stand. I've had enough. This is it. Like you've got to turn up, whatever happens, happens, but at least, you know, you've turned up and that's what happened. And I think because you'd already been growing that audience. You'd already been sharing your story up to that point. You took everyone with you to Malta. Mm -hmm. You did the whole journey. Like everyone knew you were in Malta too. The fact that you were thinking now you were going to be doing speaking mm -hmm. because this is such a, a, an important part of, it's an important part of sharing your story, but it's also a really important part of PR. And when people talk about PR, they always think about securing coverage in magazines and yeah. podcasts and other bits and pieces. But what they don't think about is the actually standing up on stage and sharing your story. And that is all part of PR as well, because mm -hmm. you can reach so many more people. Now, you were already amazing at standing up on stage anyway and sharing your story. And you'd done some speaking gigs yourself. Obviously, you were a singer, so you were naturally attuned to being able to hook an audience in. I think what Malta gave you more than anything else was self-belief. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I didn't tell anybody that I didn't have any money. The thing is, it was really intimidating for me. The people that were there were multiple six, seven, some eight figure earners that now, I mean, I've learned since that that's never, ever something to be intimidated by. Everybody, everybody goes the loo and everybody has to eat, right? And I think once you kind of get over that, you can pretty much meet anybody. And on the third day, I, you know, I'd spent the couple of days that we were there ordering water at the table, not, oh, I'm not really drinking or, you know, ordering a starter instead of ordering like a starter main and dessert. On the last day, the girls were sat around the table and the sun was setting. We was in, we was in the old town. It's beautiful. And they were all kind of like masterminding. And I'd never really seen people do this before. And when I mean masterminding, what they were doing is they were just going around the table, not really with any intention. Everyone was a few glasses of wine in. They were just shooting the breeze, but talking specifically about the business. Okay, so what's what's one thing? If we can all get our heads together around the table right now, what could we help you with? And I was like the last in the circle. I'm just thinking, don't come to me. Don't come to me because they're going to find out that I actually haven't got like to start. I need help with all of it. I don't even know where to start. But over the course of the couple of days, I'd been telling them about my story, been telling about what I was trying to create out in the world. And when they got to me and I almost started to cry, I was like, oh, I am, I, um, I don't know how to say this, but I don't even know where to start. And it was like they all... They just all sat up and ready, like they all rolled their sleeves up and they was like, right, Danny, okay, so what is it that you can share with the world? And I was like, well, I can, I can teach people how to speak all day long. You know, I used to do that in my corporate space. I could teach people how to perform. I could do that all day long. I'm really good at extracting ideas out of people. I could do that all day long. And on the back of a napkin, Lisa, phenomenally, I've got the napkin somewhere. It's not one of those things that I'll not, I'll not let go of. On the back, mapped me out what, a launch would look like for me in the online space, how I would do it. And all it really was, was just tweaking what I was doing already, doing it with more intent. And then from there, I went on to do a launch that helps people, well, you know, it's one of my standard programs now, it's called Be Heard, helps people articulate what it is that they do and the value that they bring to the world so that they can have more impact, influence and income. And by being able to articulate you and your story and why you do what you do and what you care about, you're right. Where PR is concerned, people think it's just media coverage and it's it's never just that at all. It's us having this conversation. It's being able to articulate yourself when you find yourself in rooms like that, when you find yourself around a table like that, being able to share your story in a way that is going to be compelling, that will make people want to help you or elevate you or lift you or support you or get involved or invest or whatever it is. Learning how to do that aside of working with somebody like yourself, who's just a phenomenal expert in the field of PR, is one of the most incredible skills that you can harness and and capture and sharpen up. Because if you can articulate what it is that you do, why it is that you do what you do, what the outcomes are and all of that, it just becomes really compelling. It completely does. And I, I think that's where people can have that amplified impact as well. It's not just the impact, it's amplifying it on a much bigger stage and level. I mean, you're you're coming up now to be inspired. You do an annual event in the UK called Be Inspired, where you get a group of quite frankly phenomenal speakers all together and you've sat down with them and you've, like I do, extracted their story from them and then helped them construct it into a talk so that when they stand up on stage at that event, they're able to 
talk about their truth, where they've come from, their story, but also there are so many more messages behind it all. And that for me, I think is what's so powerful. But there's another arm to what you do as well, which I think is just so incredibly special. Talking about where you were right at that very beginning, that beginning point, you've always been heart-led. You've very much been heart-centered. And that is just so important to you that you can give back to anyone else that is also going through difficult situations, whether they're going through domestic violence. And you've set up the Fly Anyway Foundation. I know you've just applied for charitable status, so fingers crossed for that. Tell us a little bit about the Fly Anyway Foundation. So the Fly Anyway Foundation, I would say, is my my legacy work. I am really, really lucky that within the speaking space, I get to help people take up space with their stories. And one of the things that I love about my job job, and that's how I I feel, it's like my work, is that I get to help people take up space, right? And amplify themselves and have conversations that matter and understand the importance of edutainment. But that was never really what I specifically set out to do. If I think about what I want my legacy piece to be or what I want, you know, what I want to be able to leave as my sort of indelible print on the world. When I was 13, um, my sister was 14. There's a year between me and my sister. I remember being sat on the bed and there was a massive almighty argument going on downstairs and we turned the TV up to, we just couldn't be bothered listening to it anymore. It wasn't even scary for us. It was just, it was normal, but boring. And I remember having older my sister's hand and going, you know what, one day, whatever it is that we do with our lives, one day we will find ourselves in a position where we're going to help people who might be in a situation like this to not be in a situation like this. And that's when we were 13. We kind of looked at each other in the eye and we held hands in that moment when we didn't know what that was going to look like. But that's been in the back of my mind the entire way through this process, even when I was experiencing intimate partner abuse, even when I was experiencing homelessness. I remember being very conscious about the fact is if I ever survive this, I will put my hand behind me to help other people. And that's been the reason that's got me out of bed on some of my darkest days, on my tiredest days, on the days where I don't feel like showing up because I've got to show up because I work in the online space. And I know for anybody that's listening along right now, you'll get those days. There'll be days where you just don't, I just don't want to, can't be bothered. I'm like, why am I even doing this? The Fly Anyway Foundation, once I'd set up my business uh, at IATQB and once that was kind of really in flow, the intention was always to support people who've experienced domestic abuse. Now, I'm really aware of my language around that. People who have experienced domestic abuse, people, not victims, not survivors, because I want to be able to provide a service for people who've experienced domestic abuse to break free of that label for themselves. So what we do within the foundation is that we help them build businesses. So if they've got a business idea, they can come to us and we will invest in a program of support for them so they can bring their idea to market. And we've got lots of fabulous support to do that. We're helping businesses come through, which is brilliant. And we showcase them at Be Inspired. And it's just a really beautiful thing to be able to do. And as part of our longer term plan, what I found was having experienced and access domestic abuse support services, that a lot of that happens in silos regionally, particularly through the UK. 
I want to campaign for a more joined up service. So for the Flying Away Foundation, our plan is in the first instance, start where I know. I know business. So I know I can definitely help people do that. The second part of our delivery is employability. So a lot of people who've experienced domestic abuse will find themselves within the benefit system or the benefit trap for some people where they find it impossible to get out. I kept myself on low earnings for the longest time because I was petrified that I was never going to be able to earn enough consistently to come off of benefits. And it keeps people trapped. And I think that once you kind of rip the plaster off and, and show that the ceiling isn't in fact made of glass, that actually your ability to create financial freedom for yourself and stability and security, those all those things that I craved when I needed it, it's there and it's real business saved my life. So now what we do within the Flying Away Foundation is help people do that. But we also know that employability is difficult when you've experienced trauma. I was completely unemployable, but for some people, business building isn't for them. So we'll be moving into the employability space and then post-trauma or post-crisis support, then crisis support. And then the aim is to open a national network of refugees here in the UK to start with. So yeah, we're, we're just trying to do a little bit. <laughs> it's just small work. <laughs> Yeah, there's not much at all there. Like <laughs> all of the things that you've got planned are huge, great big projects. But what I love is the fact that you bring your infectious energy to everything that you do. And it really is changing lives. One day at a time, you are impacting different people's lives. If you could go back to that person and have a word with her while she's sitting there and she's despairing, she's sat in the car. And she's got those windscreen wipers going and that power ballad going. And she's, she's at the point where she's just like, I have a choice here. What would you say to her? Hold on. Hold on tight. When you say that, and I kind of put myself in that position, it's really hard not to sort of really feel emotional about that because I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud of her. And one of the things that I've learned about retrospectively loving myself is that it allows me to love present me really hard and allows me to love future me even harder. And that was one of the things that I really struggled with at the time. I really struggled with self-acceptance, not even not even self-love as a base level, self-acceptance. I didn't feel like I had any value to bring to the world. And I found it very difficult to love myself in the now. And actually, when I look about how I feel about that girl, I love her, desperately love her. And I have done all the things for her to make sure that she doesn't have to live like that and that her story didn't have to end there. And I kind of just want to say to her that, you know, we're doing it and I love you and you are so very loved. And I already know that future me is looking at me now going, girl, we did it. Like, I love you. And that has taken away from me the need to be validated externally anymore. And that's what I needed for a long, long time. I've needed that sort of external validation. Whereas actually knowing what I'm capable of now, not just thinking it, because at the time I just thought it, I could do this. Actually seeing what I've been capable of and seeing that bear fruit and really sticking my heels in the floor and saying, no, it's not over yet, has allowed me to, to love myself in the present moment harder than I ever have. And that has allowed me to make some difficult decisions. It's allowed me to make some great decisions. It's allowed me to take risk uh, knowing that I'm able to cope with and deal with whatever it is that life throws at me. So if I could go back to her, just as, you know, we, we could ask future me this question in another 10 years, right? I would always just go back and go, 
I love you. You are so loved. Never, ever think that you're unlovable. And we've absolutely got this. And that is an incredibly powerful point where we're going to end this conversation. And I know that you and I could carry on talking all day about this. But you've been listening to the Power of Storytelling podcast with me, Nicola J. Rowley, and my wonderful guest, Danny Wallace, the Queen Bee herself. Check out the show notes. There are the ways that you can find Danny, find out more about the amazing work that she does with the Fly Anyway Foundation. And don't forget that if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, rate it, review it, share it with your friends, let people know, because the more that you do that, the more impact we can go on and have. And we've been talking today about the impact of storytelling, how you can amplify that, how you can take it to the next level. And hopefully by listening to today's episode, you will see how powerful that actually can be. 